sustainability is bringing young people in. So giving students important roles early on prepares them for even more important roles after that. Welcome to the Common Cause for Sustainability podcast and our special mini-series, Climate Change is Happening, Now What? Produced for the University of Washington Bothell and Cascadia College. This mini-series is a conversation about the future of sustainability, discussing the mitigation and adaptation strategies that are already taking place in our community toward the creation of a better future. Today's cause is early education. Let's get started. Hey, Cammie. Hey, Miguel. Welcome back, everybody. In today's episode, we'll be talking about Friends of the North Cape Forest. They're an organization that was started by neighbors in Bothell who wanted to save a forest from becoming a housing development. They fought for it and have grown the organization over the last several years. They do really cool things in the community with education. They provide opportunities for students of different ages and places in their lives to come and learn science and be in this conserved forest. Yeah, I love how they all came together, like a whole group of people uh, coming together for one specific purpose of saving the forest. Doesn't that remind you of something? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it does, it does remind me of last episode of Sangaya, the way that they all came to, together. They were also just a couple of neighbors, you know, who decided to do something. It's, uh, it's inspiring to see what we can do when we start working together. Friends of North Creek Forest is a nonprofit, and our mission involves uh, stewarding the forest in perpetuity and promoting education and uh, conservation there as well. That was David Bain, Vice President of Friends of North Creek Forest, who we just heard from. Hi, I'm David Bain, Vice President of Friends of North Creek Forest. David Bain is a whale biologist um, in his professional life, but he volunteers as the Vice President at Friends of North Creek Forest. He also, he writes curriculum for them, and he's really involved in the education and science committees that they have. Um, He was really interesting to talk to, and he told us about their approach to education, especially with the the younger students. But they have interns, and um, they do research there at the forest as well, and David is involved with those things. This kind of educational opportunity is valuable for students because it gets them out into nature and it gives them exposure to different kinds of programs and what they would have in a classroom. Um, But getting this going wasn't easy for the neighbors who decided to do this. They had to go to city council, they had to raise money, they had to figure out what it was gonna be used for. And that that was easier because they had a lot of people on their side, you know, all of the neighbors, but it, it it was a lot of work. Today we'll be talking about the inspiring story of how Friends of North Creek Forest got started and the value of having a learning program like the one they have. When we first went to the city council and asked them to buy the land, uh, they said, no, if you want us to buy it, there are a couple of things you need to do. Uh, One is you need to raise the money. Uh, Two is you need to promise to take care of it. And three is you need to explain why it's more important that we protect this piece of land than other pieces of land. And, um, you know, we kind of showed up city council and said, okay, here's money, let's start buying it. And I think they were pretty surprised, but they said, okay. And, you know, we've been taking care of the forest for the last 10 years the way we promised we would. You know, the city, you know, had to spend very little of its own money in the purchase because we managed to get money from Snohomish County and King County and the state. And the state got some federal money that we could use for the purchase. 
One of the ways that they were able to do this was they decided that education would be a cornerstone of the organization. They would use education as a way to rally the community and as a justification for why it was important. This concept of using the park for education is one of the reasons that they were able to get so many community members behind the concept. We recognized early on that educational opportunities were something that we could offer in the forest better than uh, most other places could. Took that concept to school district and they endorsed it, took it to the college and the university and they endorsed it. So when we started applying for funding, um, you know, we said, you know, education is one of the big things we're going to be able to do here. And, you know, our local school district believes that, and our local university believes that, and our local college believes that. Our state senator at the time was well known for her role in supporting education. So uh, she went to bat for us and uh, helped us get funding from the state. This wasn't something that they could do alone. Uh, it started as a neighborhood effort and it grew into a larger community effort. I love that from the beginning, they knew that education was important and that they would use this to create opportunities for education and they've been able to keep up with those aspirations. Um, I know there's been a lot of projects that have happened there. We hear about them a lot at school and have even visited. So there's definitely a lot of value that comes from this force when it comes to education. You know, uh, with University of Washington, we've had Restoration Ecology Network capstone students working in the forest almost every year. And uh, we've had Cascadia students come out to do independent projects and internships. And both groups have had kind of community-based learning programs uh, going on in the forest. So we feel like we've kept our commitment uh, to the academic community that we made. You know, we also went to the environmental community and um, you know, as a whale biologist, had a pretty easy time talking to the whale community and say, you know, hey, we're trying to protect the food source for the whales. Can you back me up? And they said, sure. And we've actually had restoration events in the forest where we invited the whale community and you know, we get like 100 whale watchers uh, show up to help us uh, with our restoration projects. So uh, we even got Noah to lend us their inflatable whale for one of our restoration events. So we had an inflatable killer whale in the forest for one of them. And, uh, you know, there are bird groups that recognize that forested habitat is getting scarce, especially in urban areas, so they were supportive. Fish and uh, some of the plants in the forest uh, were traditionally important tribal resources, so we've had support from the tribes as well. And uh, the Tulalip tribe gives us a Tulalip Cares grant fairly often that uh, helps maintain our education and stewardship programs. You know, it was really a regional effort to protect it. Um, you know, we're trying to live up to the trust the region has put in us. Education is really powerful. By using education, they were able to bring all of these people together. Education at Friends of North Creek Forest has changed over time, but what they're doing now is really cool. They are approaching science in a way that's different than a lot of classrooms do. And since they're doing it out in nature and with a lot of different kinds of professionals um, who approach it in really different ways. I think as, as a child learning education, having different perspectives to, to come at it from can be really impactful for how they see science and how they see themselves in science. Yeah, I think that uh, we all recognize that there's an importance of having textbook science uh, experience or textbook education experience, um, but there's also a lot more value that comes with hands-on learning that students can learn from an early age. When I was learning science, you know, I was just given a lot of material and if I memorized it, I got good grades on my test. Uh, now they want students to 
have some things that they memorize, but they also want them to learn how to be scientists. You know, they go through all the steps of observing the world and then forming hypotheses that they want to explore. And they figure out the, how to do those projects. And then they go out and do them and collect their data. And then they analyze those data and they present them. And they learn about collaborating with colleagues. And, you know, some things don't go right the first time. So it takes more than one trip through. And, you know, they kind of go through all the real world problems that I deal with even after doing it for more than 40 years. Uh, we think it's a good way to get them started. And young kids are really good when it comes to curiosity. So, you know, we just need to point them in a different direction. This is really cool. It's very different than the education that I had growing up, um, which wasn't, you know, we're, I'm still pretty young, so it wasn't that long ago, but I didn't design my own projects or just do projects based on my own curiosity, not really until college. And it's it's been a huge learning curve, you know, to figure out how to find out what you're curious about and then to follow that all the way through. I think starting this with kids is very different and and really cool for their lives. And I think um, I probably would have been a lot more into science if I started doing this earlier on. I guess uh, just learning about how cool it is to have this opportunity for kids to get that hands-on science learning experience is something that I would have definitely liked growing up for myself. I think one large difference is, like you mentioned, you're from Florida and I think and I'm from Utah, and I think different um, different regions approach education differently and have different kinds of opportunities for this sort of kind of outside education. I can definitely see how growing up in different regions can have an impact on the science education that you have, especially when it comes to outdoor learning. I like that Friends of North Creek Forest really focuses on getting kids interested and bringing in kids who are not always well represented in the classroom, just because they have different learning styles, maybe learning indoor isn't the same for them as learning outdoor. Or because in textbooks, we usually see just men doing science or just white people doing science. So sometimes coming at it from their own approach where they can be the driver of that education makes them an opportunity where they can see themselves doing it in the future. Well, I think with grade school students, you know, the main thing is to build their interest and confidence in science. So like one of the things we see in science is that girls are very involved early on, but they tend to start disappearing as they get older. And we're hoping that by having them be successful early on, uh, that will encourage them to stay in science. And also by having students design their own projects, uh, they're able to do the kind of projects they want to do and not necessarily projects that are designed by men for men. This, is, this basically describes my experience in science. I was really involved, very young, but right around middle school, I totally dropped off the map. Um, I'm back again now in college, but you know, it, it was a journey to get all the way here. And I think maybe... If I had had more access to something like um, a program like this, or you know, if other circumstances were different when I was growing up, then um, maybe I wouldn't have to be learning how to identify plants now because uh, maybe my young malleable brain would have been able to pick it up better when I was interested before. Yeah, I like that he talks about the uh, ability for students to design their own projects because I think we all know that we each have individual perspectives that are unique and uniquely valuable. So giving that opportunity for young girls to 
follow their curiosity and uh, explore the projects that they seem interested in could have some long-term impacts that I think would be beneficial to society, like in having them feel that freedom to pursue their curiosity, they'd be able to pursue topics in science that matter to them, whether that's like reproductive health or women's issues, medication for women, things that affect them in the future. Having representation in science is really important for a long time. Women were not very well represented in science. And that's one of the reasons that birth control is still so complicated. It's still so terrible, you know? Um, and yeah, I agree. Starting out, you know, getting more women in lab coats and getting them making decisions and, and sharing their perspective could go a really long way. Right. And that starts at the most basic level, you know, in early education. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like one of the interesting animal rights debates we had is we had students who decided they wanted to work on insects in the forest. And, you know, we had a team of four or five students that was going to work on that project. And they had a very lengthy discussion about whether they would be allowed to kill the insects or they would let them go at the end of the project. If you have a nurturing mindset, you know, you're more inclined to let them go. You know, if you're told, no, uh, you're going to catch them and they're going to die, that turns people with a nurturing mindset off. So we kind of let the kids work it out among themselves and they decided to let the insects live. Students were happy with that. He sounds like a real educator. <laughs> his, his stories about insects are, um, it, it really highlights how complicated um, trying having students lead their own projects is. Interacting in nature like this for students has a lot of really positive effects. It, it impacts their brain development. Um, it's, it's better for them than just sitting in front of the computer and sitting in classrooms all day physically, just getting out and moving around and getting that fresh air. Also, the way that students start to understand how systems work. He does mention that nurturing mindset, which I think is also important, um, just establishing that relationship with nature and letting them come up with that conclusion among themselves. Like, why is it important to not kill this uh, worm if they understand the impact that it has on the ecosystem as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. And and conversations like that, um, I feel like they, they wouldn't come up the same way in a, in a classroom. And it's cool that David acknowledges the importance of having them take their own decisions. Right. Like they are actually holding that little worm in their hand with its life in their hands. Whereas if they're just looking at a picture of a worm, they'd be like, no, kill it, step on it, you know, or whatever. But when they actually see it moving and alive, I'm sure that has a different impact. It, it gives them a different connection. You know, it can also be an opportunity to overcome phobias. Like we had one student who was terrified of slugs and there were slugs on the trail. And, you know, we could see she clearly did not want to go past that slug on the trails. Um, you know, we spent some time with her, you know, saying, okay, you know, we're not going to make you do this. And, uh, you know, the other kids went up the trail and we're starting to work on things. And, you know, after a few minutes, she realized that slug wasn't hurting her and, uh, she kind of got her courage up and moved past it and joined the other group. And, you know, by the end of the class, you know, she was holding the Petri dish with the slug in it. So that's something where, you know, having that hands-on experience kind of opens up 
parts of the world to her that may not have been available if she'd just done classroom lessons where she sees a picture of a slug in a book. This doesn't just teach children to get comfortable in nature, but it also teaches them other life lessons, um, like not being afraid of slugs, having one perspective and learning how to change that into another perspective. And I think those life lessons are just as valuable. You know, we're giving them the skills to figure things out for themselves. One of the things we tend to teach them is sometimes scientists make mistakes. And how do you recognize when you've made a mistake? And, um, you know, also some scientific integrity of if you make a mistake, you admit it. You know, that's such a good point that David said there. I think our society would be a little better if we were all a little bit better at, um, at realizing you know, when we make mistakes, how to fix them. And, you know, we're seeing this a lot in, in like our public conversations. Yeah, I agree. I think it's not uh, just a science lesson, but it's a life lesson. Even with this process of science that we as a society rely so heavily on, there's still mistakes that are made. And we just admit it when we make those mistakes and keep researching, keep trying to find out where we made that mistake and how to move forward from that mistake. That's just a people skill that leads to relationship building and a better community or society in general. You know, one teacher that had us work with all of her classes. So, you know, we had like uh, three or four different groups and four or five different classes all measuring the same thing. And then uh, we put all their results together and said, okay, you guys didn't all get the same answer. What happened? And you have them think about that. And that's kind of what you go through with climate change. You have scientists will give you a range of results and you have to figure out, you know, which of these results are real and which ones have mistakes in them. And how do you recognize a mistake when you see one? You know, that'll help them sort out the truth of things. And, you know, it's different than having your favorite person tell you what to believe and you just believe that which may or may not be true. And, you know, even in science, we realize what we believe today is not likely to be the same as what people believe a couple hundred years from now. And so understand things better and they'll find mistakes that we've made. And even things like gravity that people thought they understood for hundreds of years turned out to be a good approximation, but there are some details that were still left to be worked out. You know, we kind of try to get that sense of what it means to be a scientist uh, into their heads as well. And that means that, you know, just because a particular scientist says something doesn't mean it's true. Critical thinking is really important. Like David mentioned, we are making decisions for our society. And in order to make really good decisions, we have to be able to think about them and to think about the legitimacy of them. I think that's an important way of thinking that kids can learn uh, at an early age, which is to not just trust uh, what you hear, but understand how to decipher what is uh, credible information. As you kind of mentioned earlier, Cammie, in the age that we're living in today with a lot of misinformation, I think having that skill set from an early age will help avoid some of the trouble that we find ourselves in today. David mentioned uh, climate change as an example. There's all these different uh, scientific findings Most of them are credible, some of them are not, but how do you know which ones are credible? Um, By looking at the data, the information, and drawing your conclusions from that, not just from what you heard your favorite person say. I think we could all use a little more practice with and remember to engage in more critical thinking. 
uh, when we're when we're consuming data. We had some third graders who decided they were curious about how does water temperature vary throughout the forest. So we took them to the top of the forest and they measured the water temperature as it came into the forest. And we took them down to the bottom so they could measure the temperature uh, as it left. And it turned out they found there was a four degree C temperature change. And to put that in perspective, we're freaking out about a two degree change in global temperature. And that kind of tells us that you know, if we get ahead of things on reforestation, uh, we may actually get two degrees of cooling in our freshwater environments uh, rather than the two degree increase we're likely to see in the marine environment and places that uh, don't restore their forests. You know, I'd always been telling them, well, forests cool water, but I never bothered to measure it myself. And our forest is not that big. So I was actually surprised how much the temperature changed. And, you know, it seemed to be a significant enough finding that uh, when the Waffle Shoreline Board was updating its shoreline master program and we we're discussing, you know, what size should buffers be and how strict do we want to be about maintaining stream buffers? You know, I said, well, you know, these kids measured water flowing through a thousand foot stream buffer and the temperature dropped four degrees C and that's huge. That's a really important finding from a project that was led by kids. Um, this, this highlights the unexpected benefits of having kids be an impactful force in their education and in the projects that happen there. David mentioned that he always known that forests cool water, but he's never thought of actually testing it out. So because the kids were interested in this, they they had some actual data that they could eventually use in actual like policymaking. They, they could actually use in arguing for the importance of having forest buffers near rivers to cool water. I like that after gaining a basic understanding of science, um, what these forests can do, uh, that led these kids to be able to take on their own science project. And uh, with that curiosity, they were able to come up with some really consequential outcomes about the forest and information that we can actually use and apply. What we're trying to focus on with the older students and the move to the next generation science standards format where they design and carry out their own projects, I think is a good enabling step for that. You know, when they get to college, if they want to do a senior thesis, that's something that they'll have to do. And you know, if they do that successfully in college, that'll help get them into a master's program. And they do a you know, a little better that time, and that gets them into a PhD program, and they have to take a project from beginning to end one more time, and they do that successfully, and then they can go on to a career in science. Um, I think it's also important that as members of society, uh, we need to make decisions, and generally we're better off if, you know, good science is used to make those decisions. So, you know, an issue like climate change, there's a lot of good science and there's a lot of bad science out there. And having students who understand science well enough to tell the difference will help them make good choices. You know, our mission is conservation. So for some of the older students, you know, we've had lessons where we talked about how we use the political system to protect North Creek Forest. So, you know, it wasn't about the biology of it, but about the human behavior and you know, how you deal with city councils and, you know, how you go about raising money to purchase a forest and, you know, things like that. So younger students here in these programs are more focused on just the lifestyle lessons and like the slug thing and just learning 
um, how to approach science and how to think critically about, about the information that they're receiving and about how to address mistakes and stuff where the older students are getting more hands-on practical experience. They're, they're learning all of the other things too, but the older students have an opportunity to gain job skills that they can learn, that they can use later in life if they want to go into a lab or um, projects design or something like that. Even if these students never end up going into any sort of science future, they being able to understand scientific information and being able to communicate about science is vital in our society where we make a lot of decisions based on science. A lot of our, you know, our politics and even, you know, I mean, we've become very aware of how important science is to our daily lives in the last year with COVID and all of the stuff we're dealing with for climate change, that would be impossible to communicate without this kind of basic understanding of what science is and, and how the process of science builds on itself. Right. It builds on itself. It's not just definitive. It's a process. And one of the things that I really enjoyed that he says is that as members of a society, we need to make decisions and we're better off when good science is used to make those decisions. Um, Just like you were mentioning, right now we have a situation where we need to make important decisions and we need to make sure that we're making the best decisions based off of the science. Yeah, and that can be really hard to understand if you if you are are not very familiar with the process of science. There's been a lot of debate about it lately, about what like with COVID, about you know masks and what information we have been able to get. It's been a life and death issue, and not being able to understand how scientists do their job and how we learn more information about things like this is really important. And not just in like epidemiology or in biology, like we've been talking about with the forests, but also in public policy and moving policy along to be better for all of us. These neighbors who got together to make um, Friends of North Creek Forest a reality, they all knew that conservation was important because of their backgrounds in science and and they were able to use that background and their ability to rally people with our political system in order to like to make it happen being able to tie all those things together is something that they also talk about in their programs especially with the older kids they sometimes talk about the process and and what it took to to make friends of north creek forest a reality yeah i 100 percent agree i think that this shows students not only how to be scientists but how to use that information to interact with the societal structures that already exist so that, that there's science to back up the policies that are being pushed for. Because my background is science, we've started out with science programs, but I think in the future, we'd like to have art programs in the forest. And, you know, we can see, you know, students coming out to the forest to write poetry or short stories or things like that that are inspired by the forest. So, you know, those are things we have on the drawing board for down the road that um, enable to stay pretty busy with the science program so far. It was really good to talk to David and to hear about all of the programs they have at Friends of the North Creek Forest and the way that they approach education for children and the way that they were able to make this dream a reality at the beginning. Um, I'm really excited to see if they end up making any of these these future ideas for programs a reality because I would be really interested in some sort of art program there or writing program there or something. I think that could be really beneficial for kids. 
personally, I am totally biased. I, I love art and bringing kids in forests is usually a good thing in my book. I think it can be really good for their mental health, their physical health. Any sort of expansion would be really good for the program. I like talking to David. Uh, I think that one of the biggest takeaways that I had was that we rely on scientific processes to help us with understanding the world around us, helps us to improve our lives, and it's a way for us to test our theories. Um, but scientific thinking is something that expands beyond just the classroom or the science lab. It's something that these children are, it's a way of thinking that these children are learning at an early age and it nurtures their curiosity and open-mindedness, which I believe contributes to a more intellectual, empathetic, and enriched society. Thank you for listening. Thank you, David Bain, for talking to us about Friends of North Creek Forest and the education program. If you want to know more about Friends of North Creek Forest, visit friendsofnorthcreekforest.org. If you want to reach out to us with any questions or get familiar with our campuses, you can visit our Instagram pages at UWB Sustainability slash Sustainability at Cascadia. To find out more about our sustainability efforts, visit uwb.edu slash sustainability and cascadia.edu slash B-A-S-S-P. Thank you all for joining us today on the Common Cause for Sustainability podcast. Please join us next time for more future causes on climate change is happening. Now what? See you next time. Uh, we're always looking for people to help out. So if you want to volunteer in education or science or fundraising or you know helping run the organization and maintaining the Facebook page and things like that, you can always use volunteers for that. Uh, we have some paid internships available for college students. You know, students want to help out teaching the younger kids, then you know, we can try to find a spot for you.